Welcome to Divine Truth Podcast with Dr. Stephen M. Huffman. Michael is a senior pastor with Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. The purpose of this podcast is to teach and edify God's people through a verse-by-verse exposition of God's Word. To learn more about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit www.ebcmineral.com. And now, here is Pastor Michael Huffman. to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, and after you have found that, I have respect for God's word, let's stand as we read our text once again, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and beginning in verse number 9. It's in the New Testament, Mrs. Agner. Huh? Six through this is six through nine. Just just work with me there, Skippy. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in the mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things. No, I missed a verse, didn't I? Verse 8. I'm sorry. I got so confused with Mrs. Agner back there. It's her fault. Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, teach us your word. Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. I love this passage of scripture. Uh, I love the writings of the Apostle Paul. One of the reasons that I love the writings of the Apostle Paul so much is because Paul was a pastor at heart. Uh, and because I are one, uh, he has my heart. He has my ear. And when he speaks through the, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, it speaks in my heart because he had the heart of a pastor. He spoke as a pastor. He taught as a pastor. He had compassion as a pastor. And one of the things that he had compassion uh, for was that the church operate according to the dictates of of God, and not according to the dictates of the world's wisdom. You know, one of the things that's true about our world is that our world is sure full of wisdom, right? You don't have to go far at all before you try before you find somebody that's got it all figured out. Maybe you don't have to even leave your house before you finally run into someone who's got it all figured out. But certainly by the time you get to work, you meet people that got it all figured out. Our world is not slack on wisdom. And our world is not slack on the wisdom that that many times the church tries to incorporate. And Paul had something to say about 
what was the proper approach to ministry that we looked at in verses 1 through 5. And then from verses 6 through 9, we're looking at the fact that the wisdom that we're seeking, seeking is a wisdom that's a sovereign wisdom. It's a wisdom, folks, that God controls. It's a wisdom that God is behind it. That's what we need to be seeking. Individually and corporately as a church, we need to be seeking God's wisdom. Because His wisdom and His wisdom alone is sovereign. And His wisdom and His wisdom alone is the standard, right? And so we need to be seeking God's wisdom. And Paul began in verse 6 saying, listen... Our ministry, even though we do not appeal to the wisdom of the world, the wisdom that we give is for those who are mature in the faith. That's why, folks, the world thinks that our wisdom is moronic. They don't think that our wisdom is moronic because our wisdom is moronic. They think our wisdom is moronic because they don't get it. They don't get it at all. You ever talk to someone about the things of God and they give you that deer in the headlight look? Or as, my, or as Jeff Clark used to say, they look at you like a bullfrog blinking in a hailstorm. I've never quite seen that, so I'm not quite sure what that looks like. But that's what Jeff Clark used to say, and I just took his word for it. I, I assume that to mean they look like they got you that I'm stupid look. Is that what it is? Okay. All right. Thanks for that clarification. <laughs> And so it's not, that it is, it's not that our wisdom is foolish. The world doesn't get it. Zachary, go ahead and bring up the, the slide. I think the next slide is with the, with the two yeah, the world. And we saw the true wisdom is not humanly discovered because, again, they just don't get it. And if the church seeks to be the church without godly wisdom, the church seeks to be the church. If the church seeks human wisdom, it ceases to be the church. Because, folks, we don't, need to be going, we don't need to go after worldly wisdom. We need to go after the wisdom of God. Number one, true wisdom is not humanly discovered. Number two, let's move on. True wisdom is divinely determined. True wisdom is divinely determined. Look at verse number eight. Paul says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained, when? Before the world unto our glory, or for our glory. Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. Let me ask you, guys, let me ask you a question tonight. And you guys, this is Sunday night, you guys can go ahead and answer, okay? And I'm going to ask you this question. Have you ever heard a loaf of bread talking to a glass of water? Anybody? I just saw bullfrogs blinking in a hailstorm. You say, Pastor, that's ridiculous. And you know what? You're absolutely right. But it's no more ridiculous than thinking natural man can understand God. It's no more ridiculous. In fact, I believe that the two inanimate objects could speak to each other before natural man could ever understand God. Or, to tell you the truth, before even we as Christians could ever really fully understand God. Because understanding God is totally out of our area. 
That is why true wisdom is not humanly discovered. Folks, listen, that's what you want to know why I, I'm so bold and speak out about the fact that when Christians have trouble, they don't need to be going to secular psychiatrists. They, they have nothing to tell you. They have nothing to say to you. Because all their wisdom is the wisdom of the world. They have nothing to say. If you want to know what God has to say, read the Scripture. Don't go to a psychiatrist. They have nothing to say to you because they have absolutely no idea how to understand God. And we as the church... In our corporate meetings and the way that we do worship, we're not, we don't need to bring the world's wisdom into here because that world has nothing to tell us and the moment they are determining what we do, we're no longer having church. Take all the pews out, turn it into a dance hall because that's about all you got. If you're taking the world's wisdom and letting the world to dictate to you how you produce your worship, how you practice your worship. We do not understand God. The world will never understand God. And a, and a ministry that implores human wisdom for its foundation is a sad ministry indeed. Now it gets people. It gets people. But those people remain ignorant of God. They remain ignorant of God. They remain ignorant of God's salvation. They remain ignorant of His Word. And they remain... Well, let me tell you this. I told you the story a few weeks ago. I have two good friends that don't go to church here. One of them is a pastor, and just one of them is James's boss. Um, and Charlie's a good man. And I had an opportunity a few weeks ago to talk to Charlie... And Charlie goes to a, a church that's not here, obviously. Um, and I asked him, as I do every time I see him, how's the church going? He says, oh, brother, we're losing people. I said, why? And, of course, you always ask whether it's COVID or not. He says, no. He says, get this, folks. He says, we're losing people because the former pastor built the church on human wisdom, and this pastor is building it on expositional preaching. And I looked at Charlie and I said, and when you turn and when you take away human wisdom and when you take away human philosophies and human practices and you bring in the Word of God, the tares get up and run away. Because that's what you've got, isn't it? When you implore human reasoning, when you implore human worship into a church, that's what you got. You got people. But many times you've got lost people. Because, I, because the word of God, so much of the time, when, when God's wisdom is not used and human wisdom is employed, so much of the time, the message of the gospel, even if it's preached, is hidden by everything else. Because, folks, listen, we cannot lower, we cannot ever lower God and expect people to change. You don't lower God and bring God down on the level of sinful man and expect God and expect sinful man to ever change. 
What has to happen is that sinful man, by the sovereign grace of God, has to be brought up to his level. There's a song, and I can't remember all the name of it, but I can't stand it. Oh, imagine that. If you like it, no judgment here. Hopefully you've never heard of it. I'm, I'm not a fan of Gaither music. Yeah, I said it out loud. Did I offend you by just saying that, Bonnie? I'm not a fan of Gaither music. Okay. 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 Well, as soon as I said that, that jaw opened, that jaw dropped. Yeah. That was the same look that I got the first time I picked on Joel Osteen. Not from her, not from her, from somebody else long time ago, somewhere else. And one of the songs is an old one, speaks about, he came down to my level when I couldn't get up to his. Anybody ever heard of that one? I can't stand that song because it's unscriptural like a lot of Gaither music. He came down to my level. Stop it, Julie. You're showing your flesh in front of everybody. You ought to be in Sunday school. You ought to be in adult Sunday school. You know, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let me tell you something. If you worship a God that came down to your level, then you don't worship the God of the Bible. Okay? You worship a God of your own making, and so that makes you an idolater. Because the God of the Bible is not going to come down to your level. God of the Bible is going to draw you up to His. And if we try in our worship to implore human wisdom, to, to, try in a, to try to bring God down to the level of sinful man, then we'll, we can't ever expect people to truly change. Because, you, folks, listen, you cannot create a God that's based on man's wisdom because then you've created a false God. John MacArthur said this, you couldn't, you couldn't know God no matter how hard you tried. I like what he says here. No matter how many spiritual grunts and groans you went through because you cannot escape the confines of a natural existence and leap into the supernatural dominion, come back and tell us about God. We are stuck in a natural world. And we have to depend upon the divine, the power of the divine to teach us. And Paul says here in our text that natural man cannot, a natural man cannot understand that. Natural man cannot understand God because the wisdom of God is hidden to him. It was like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God because they're what? Spiritually discerned or spiritually appraised. You can't understand it because you have nothing within you that's your teacher that allows you to understand it. And what, is, what else does Paul say? That this wisdom was ordained or predestined by God. God intended it to be that way. Now the word ordained is proharizo, and it literally means to predetermine. It's the same word that's used in relation to our salvation. It's predetermined. Now what is the mystery of God's wisdom that Paul is referring to? He's referring to the, ministry, the mystery of the gospel. He says here in verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom of God, okay, and because it's hidden, man cannot understand it. Natural man cannot understand it. And God ordained it to be that way from before the world. 
It's always been God's intention that he was going to hide from the noble and reveal it to babes. It's always been God's intention. And what Paul is saying is that the wisdom of the gospel was predetermined by the sovereignty of God before the world, or literally before the ages. Now, folks, let's be real. The wisdom of the gospel is so wonderful that only God could have predetermined it. Only God could have predetermined that. The gospel is something that man could never do. They couldn't do it if they would, and they wouldn't do it if they could. Only God, in His sovereign wisdom, could and would have the wisdom to come up with the wisdom of the gospel. The gospel was not an afterthought. It was, not, it was as if it was planned after the fall. Now when, we say, now when I say that it was not planned after the fall, what I mean is that the gospel, was, again, was not an afterthought, meaning that it wasn't a plan B. And whether you take an infralapsarian view, and that is the view in, which, in the mind of God that the decree of the gospel was after he decreed the fall, or you take a superlapsarian view, which is the view that God in his mind decreed the gospel first and then decreed the fall, it doesn't really matter. Whichever position you take, the fact, of the, the fact is that the gospel, the wisdom of the gospel, was not an afterthought with God. It was decreed before the ages. For what? What would she say in verse 7? Unto our glory. Whose glory? What, what is our salvation? Our salvation ultimately leads to what, folks? According to Romans 8, glorification. The gospel call, according to Romans 8, 29 and 30, always leads to glorification. Always leads to this body of flesh being changed in a moment from the corruptible to the incorruptible. Salvation always leads to this body being changed from the mortal to the immortal. It always leads from, to from uh, the alien righteousness of Christ being taken away and, a, and my own righteousness being given to me by the Father. It always leads to my glorification. That's the way God always determined it. God always determined that he was going to hide the facts of the gospel to the people that he chose to hide the facts of the gospel, and he was going to reveal it to the ones that he chose to reveal it. That's always been God's way. And man cannot ever think that they can implore their own wisdom to add to or, make or work better God's way. This is God's way. Paul says, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained. And whether the fall was ordained first or whether the gospel was ordained first, the fact of the matter is it was ordained by God. But the wisdom of the gospel is amazing. The fact is that, 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 that there was a fall and that there is a redemption of God's people. Steve Lawson says this, the wisdom of God is supremely seen in the sin-bearing substitutionary death of Christ, which is infinitely superior to the so-called wisdom of the world. Listen, through the simplicity of the gospel, which is utterly profound, holy God and sinful man are reconciled. You say, Pastor, what's the point? The point is this. We need to work on imploring God's wisdom and not the world's wisdom because it's God's wisdom that brings reconciliation. 
not ours. You and I, in using the world's wisdom to get people in the church or to incorporate worldly worship in our church and using the world's means, using the world's wisdom, we'll never, that never reconciles sinful man and holy God. I think that we probably ought to do things God's way. I think that we'd probably better be better off doing things God's way. The cross, though seen by the world as being utterly simple and foolish, really does reveal, folks, the genius of God. And over the years, I've kind of changed my, my view of the cross in, in this way. I've come to, and, and I've told you before, but I've kind of come to this point in my ministry and in my, in my thinking about the cross, that if you look at the cross and all you see is the love of God, you've missed the point. You've missed the point. Because the cross is not a symbol of the love of God. The cross is a symbol of the holiness of God. Because it's in the cross that our sin was judged. It's on the cross that our substitute paid the price for our sin. And so when I look at the cross, I see judgment. I see the genius of God. Again, Steve Lawson says the substitutionary death of Christ is incomparably brilliant. For by it, God as the just and justifier saves sinners who are perishing. Hallelujah. But this is a mystery to the world. You and I are the only ones that have got figured out. You know how? Because you and I are the only ones that have got the ministry of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So let's do things God's way. How about it? Don't you think we'd be better off doing things God's way? You see, every other form of religion in its, in its quote-unquote wisdom attempts to make God or, or cause God to earn His way to the Father. To make Himself right before God. And that's the basis, folks, of every false religion in the world. Everyone that you look at, some way, shape, or form, is trying to make themselves right with God. Whether it be humanism or some other philosophies that Paul was fighting in Galatia. Uh, in fact, look at Galatia chapter 5, verse 3, where Paul says this, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. In other words, the one that is trusting in the works of the law to be justified in the sight of God, then you are bound to be faithful to obey the entire law. Because justification in the Galatians, because Paul in that letter is fighting between grace and works, he's writing to a church that he founded, and he founded upon the grace of the gospel of Christ. The Judaizers are coming in and saying, yeah, Paul's got bats in his belfry. Yeah, you are justified by faith in Christ, but you're kept by the works of the law. And folks, let me tell you, you know this as well as I do, that the moment you add one drop of works to, the, to grace, you have adulterated grace, and you have preached a false gospel. The moment, I don't care how small that work may be, once you add one drop of a work to grace, you've destroyed grace. And then what's Paul saying? Of course, circumcision there is a picture of the law. Because circumcision was a sign of the old covenant. And Paul says, listen, if you're going to trust in circumcision, you're going to trust in the works of the law, 
Well, you can't be justified. You have to do the whole law. And James chapter 5, 2, verse 10 says what? If you keep the whole law and offend in what? One point, you're guilty of them all. I, I remember some years ago, I never really, this is old news for Autumn because we, we, I went over that Galatians 5 and devotions in uh, the academy last week. I remember there was many years ago, and I never really watched these guys. Uh, I never really got my theology from these guys. I mean, as a, as, a, as a rule, as a general rule, you should probably not get your theology from Duck Dynasty as a general practice. Okay? Now, I know that's offensive to some of you watching uh, on the Internet, um, but you, as a general practice, you probably shouldn't do that. Um, but because they go on their programs and they mention Jesus and they pray and they do all this stuff that Christians do, Christians are very happily to receive those guys as believers. I mean, even a couple of them starred in God's Not Dead yet. God's Not Dead. So, uh, I mean, he's got to be a Christian. He was in God's Not Dead. And I'm not here saying that he's not, but here's, but here's a dilemma. Here's the dilemma. And let's take this dilemma and let's compare it to the Apostle Paul's words. The boys of Duck Dynasty belong to a covenantal group down there in Louisiana. It's about a 13,000-member group that believe you have to be baptized to be saved. In fact, a man that I know called and had an interview with their pastor. He said he was a very winsome fellow. But he said, I asked him the question, if I get saved in your church and then I'm driving to your church to get baptized and I am killed in a car accident, will I go to heaven or hell? And his answer was, I'll let God be the judge of that. Now, folks, I'm, I'm not here to make a, a determination on anybody's heart. I preached hard on that the last two weeks. I'm not here to make a determination on anybody's heart. I would never do that. But that's troubling. That's troubling because baptism is a work. And if you trust in that as even part of salvation, is that the gospel? Is that the gospel? Listen, folks, you guys do realize that just because they mention the name Jesus doesn't make them Christian. Just because they get on television and pray doesn't make them Christian. You've got to go past that. What is their doctrine? Now, again, I'm not making any determination on anybody's heart, but I'm saying it is troubling when you start adding a drop of works to grace. What does Paul say in chapter 1? If you, Paul's, Paul of Galatians, Paul spoke about it even stronger than I am. Paul says, if anybody does that, what? Let them be accursed. Paul says, if you add one drop of works to grace, you're accursed. So it's troubling. And James says that you can keep the whole law, but if you offend in one point, you're guilty of all of it. You're guilty of all of it. And again, I'm not, don't go leave out here saying Pastor Michael said the guys at Duck Dynasty are going to hell. I didn't say that. I'm saying that's troubling. That theology is troubling to me when they start adding little drops of works to grace. I hope they are saved. I hope they have truly trusted Christ. I don't know the heart, but that's troubling. And it ought to be troubling to every child of God who hears that. It ought to trouble you. And so Paul concludes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. In other words, you cannot possibly do it. And this is where the genius of God 
comes in and the genius of substitution. Because the world in its wisdom has no concept of substitution because they cannot even begin to fathom that kind of selfless love. But substitutionary atonement is part of the decreed genius of the wisdom of the gospel that Paul is speaking about in verse 7. And that is the wisdom of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died to secure the eternal salvation of everyone that puts their faith in him. Jesus Christ actually died for somebody. Jesus Christ actually substituted. He was a substitution for our sins. He wasn't a potential substitution. He was the substitution. And and it was proven that he was the substitution when God raised him from the dead. His resurrection is proof of his substitution. That's the genius of God. And only God could come up with that. And when, what, verse 7, when does Paul say God came up with that? Before the, world, before the ages. God determined that before the ages. The gospel of the vicarious death of Jesus Christ. And again, what we mean by vicarious is that Jesus Christ actually took the place of somebody. Listen, folks, let's think about the gospel. Let's think about the gospel in relation to the wisdom of the world. Those of you who are here in this auditorium tonight that you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, you've repented and trusted Christ, you can rest assured Jesus substituted for you. Jesus propitiated for you. Meaning that Jesus Christ satisfied the holy demands of righteous God in your place. Jesus did not die to potentially save no one. Jesus Christ died to save his people. And that's the genius of the gospel. You cannot have, listen to me folks, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot have a substitutionary atonement and then have people going to hell for whom that atonement was made. That's not a substitution. That's not a substitution. Jesus Christ was the substitute. And that's the genius of Almighty God. But the world doesn't get it, Paul says here in our text. The world doesn't get it. I like John Murray. And John Murray says this. On who, and it's kind of a long quote, so just bear with me. And, and just, I don't have it up here on the slides. It's, it's too long. Just, just listen. On whose behalf did Christ offer himself a sacrifice? In whose stead... And on whose behalf was he obedient unto death, even the death of the cross? There are precise, these are precisely the questions that have to be asked and frankly faced if the matter of the extent of the atonement is to be placed in proper focus. The question is precisely the the question is precisely the reference of the death of Christ when his death is viewed as vicarious death that is to say as a vicarious obedience as substitutionary sacrifice an expiation an effective propitiation reconciliation and redemption in a word Murray says it is the strict and proper connotation of the expression died for that must be kept in mind When Paul says that Christ died for our sins in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, he does not have in mind some blessing that 
may accrue from the death of Christ, but of which we may be, de- but of which we may be deprived in due time, and which we may thus be forfeited. He is thinking of the stupendous truth that Christ loved him and gave himself up for him, and that therefore we have redemption through the blood of Christ. End quote. What's John Murray saying? Is that the wisdom of the gospel is not a gospel, is not a salvation that can be forfeited, but it is a salvation that, that Jesus Christ actually died and redeemed his people. And folks, listen, because Christ actually died and redeemed his people, we cannot be lost. We cannot be lost. But only God could do that. And that's the genius of the gospel. The genius of the gospel, church, is not that, that spiritually sick people can somehow afford themselves to God. But the genius of the gospel is that spiritually dead people, Christ died as a vicarious substitute and actually took on sin in his body and actually died for sinners. God, he actually satisfied God's wrath so that we can be reconciled to God. Hallelujah. That's the genius of God. That's the wisdom of the gospel. And I am sorry for people that get in the pulpits. I am sorry for preachers that get in the pulpit and do not preach that gospel to their congregation because that's the wisdom of God. This fruity tooty gospel that likes to be preached today is not the wisdom of God. I'll explain to you what fruity tooty gospel is later. I ain't got time tonight. I just made that up, so when I figure it out, I'll tell you. (laughs) When we think about the wisdom of the gospel, Paul says, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. And what's that wisdom of God? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. God ordained that from before the foundation of the world. And then notice what he says in verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The plan of salvation was so glorious that it was beyond any human or, for that matter, demonic comprehension. Boy, can you just imagine, can you just imagine what we call Good Friday? Can you just imagine the jubilation and joy in hell? We got him. We got him. The second person of the Godhead is dead. We got him. He's in the ground. Saturday comes. Let's do a check. Right? Got to check in. Yeah, boss, he's still there. He's still there. Midday Saturday comes. Let's do a check. Yeah, boss, he's still there. We got him. Don't worry. We got him. Sunday, Saturday night comes. Let's do one more check before we go to bed. Boss, we got him. Trust us. Don't worry. He's dead. The Son of God is dead. We got him. 
You've won. But the genius of the gospel, 6 a.m. comes on Sunday. Let's do a check-in. Boss, we can't hold him. We can't hold him. He's more powerful than we are. Boss, he's alive. What do you mean he's alive? What do you mean, what do I mean? He's alive. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. Jesus Christ is alive, and that is the wisdom of the gospel. That because he's alive, man can be reconciled to God. Sinful man can be reconciled to God, and had the demonic powers understood that, they would have never incited the mob to crucify him. Better to fight a, better to fight a, a deity alive than to look like a fool when you think you've got him and then you can't hold him. He's alive. And the, the crucifixion is proof that the rulers of the world did not have God's wisdom. Because they didn't, because had they understood it, they would never have allowed this to happen. Because the cross was foolishness to them. And they said, they remember the Old Testament that said, cursed is the man that is, cruc- that is murdered on the tree. Cursed is the person that hangs on the tree. And so they thought that they were adding insult to injury by hanging this king of the Jews on a tree. No, they weren't adding insult to injury. They just didn't understand God's wisdom. Because had they understood who Christ was, they never would have done it. But you know, that ignorance was ordained by God too. And their ignorance is an important part of God's plan because it was the ignorance that they crucified the Lord of glory, fulfilling God's predetermined plan for the redemption of undeserving sinners. How marvelous. How glorious. Folks, only in the wisdom of God. And number three, real quick. True wisdom is not humanly discovered. True wisdom is divinely determined. True wisdom is delightfully disclosed. Look at verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Would it, would it surprise you if I told you that the interpretation of this verse had nothing to do with heaven? You guys have heard all your life that that has to do with heaven. That's not what it's talking about at all. What's it talking about? It's talking about the glorious wisdom of the gospel. What's he mean? Then I have not seen nor ear heard yet into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. He's talking about the wonderful things that God has prepared for you that trust his son Jesus Christ through the gospel. It's not talking about heaven. It's talking about the gospel. Heaven is not the context here. Heaven is not even mentioned here. What's mentioned here is the wisdom of the gospel and the blessings that Paul 
tells us about in verse 9 are the blessings of the gospel. And now you could indirectly say, yeah, well, that's heaven, and I wouldn't argue with that. But the direct interpretation of what Paul is saying in verse 9 is the wisdom of the gospel. Everything that God has planned out from before the world began is shown to be blessing to us that receive it. And God says you have absolutely no ability to understand the blessedness of the gospel. I can't think of many more things that could be greater than salvation, total forgiveness, than, than that. But God says, you have no way of even being able to comprehend what I have planned for you in the gospel. I mean, just think about how marvelous the gospel is that we know. But God says, God says in verse 9, you haven't even scratched the surface of the wonders of the gospel. You can't even comprehend the wonders of the gospel. Because the wonders of the gospel are delightfully disclosed. God gives it to us. And let me tell you something. I rejoice more in the gospel today than I did even five years ago. I rejoice more in the gospel today than I did a year ago. Certainly more than I did 30 years ago when I got saved. Or more than that now, I guess. I've been saved. I've been married almost 30 years. My goodness, I'm older than I thought I was. I got saved in 85. I'll let you do the math. But I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. What a wonder glory. What a wondrous, glorious gospel we've been given. And it's the gospel, folks, by the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of the world. And I think we need to follow God's wisdom. Because it's only God's wisdom that says, I have not seen ear has not heard and has not entered into the heart of man the things that god has prepared for us we could put in parentheses by the gospel or in the gospel for those that love him i don't know about you but i'm going to follow god's gospel how about you i think that's what's best let's pray together father we thank you lord for you the gospel of christ we are indeed mindful of your love for us and thankful for that we thank you tonight, Father, for the wonders of the cross that we have been reconciled to you by grace alone, through faith alone, to the glory of God alone, in Christ alone. And we praise you for that. And Father God, we praise you that these were all planned by the genius of your mind for before the foundation of the world and that no unsaved person has any ability to understand this. And Father, that in itself gives us another indication of your grace that you have in your grace and love be revealed those things to us father we thank you for your word we thank you for its truth and we we long to be changed by your gospel father we love you we fail you many times but father we love you and we thank you for christ it's in his name we pray Amen.